of something that can be so far this way and so far this Now, question. If you don't have one of these, put your hand up. Uh, the ushers have more of them. Anyone? Okay, who's the usher that has them in their hand? Okay, I don't see any ushers with them in their hand. We do now. Okay, Mark is on his way, so keep your hand up. Uh, some people passed through and didn't get one. Uh, you may already have one of those from about a month, month and a half ago when I started this uh, series of sermons uh, dealing with the biblical decision-making process. Keep your hands up if you didn't get one, because uh, I will not be covering everything that is on this. Over here, Mark, you get a whole bunch of them. Uh, but we have looked at these principles. We're on the last column today, the caboose, if you will. The final results. So far, this is what we've looked at. We've looked at if you're going to make a decision, and you're going to make it biblically, the way God would want you to make it, you need to base it on the facts. You need to base it on truth, and you need to base it on what is real. This is not fantasy thinking. The world tends to say, well, you can have a dream and you can do whatever you want to do. I have no problem with the third one because you can have a dream and you can have a desire and you can have an opinion. But all good decisions are based on a bottom line that's truth and facts and reality. And the ultimate reality, of course, is the Word of God. It has principles that go across the board. It doesn't matter if it's spiritual decisions or what you're, where you're going to work or what you're going to eat. It has principles that apply across the board that help us to make good decisions. That's the first part. Without that, you're on sand. The second is, you're not good enough, you're not wise enough, and you're not strong enough. All decisions, no matter how much truth and facts and reality they have, if you try to live the Christian life or any life on your own, you're in trouble. You need God to work in you and through you. That is living by faith. We get saved by faith, but we also live by faith. And so we need God's wisdom. He is wiser than me. That's, not even, that's such an understatement. He is all wise. He is stronger than me. <laughs> that's really an understatement. He's all powerful. He knows everything. There is nothing too hard for him. So, if you try to live life on your own, you're going to fail miserably. Not maybe immediately, but it'll crash and burn. The third thing, and we've looked at that, and that's your third column on there, is there's nothing wrong with your own desires. It says, you know, that we can have our desires, and our desires should be turned over to the Lord. We saw Psalm 37. Because our want-tos become His, uh, his what He wants us to do become ours. Because we become one with Him. He gave you a brain. He made you a unique individual. I am so thankful that you all don't want to be like me. By the way, don't put your hand up, but if I ask who wants to be like me, I hope nobody puts their hand up. If you do, I'm going to have a 
talk with you afterwards. Because you don't want to be me. You want to be you, and you want to be the best you God has created. That's who you want to be. Which makes the church a very unique group of individuals. Let's face it. If it wasn't for the gospel, if it wasn't for the truths of the word of God and the teaching and the ministries we have here, most of us wouldn't have a whole lot to do with each other. We get together around the Word of God, around the person of Christ. When I go to a tractor pull, guys are not there because they say, that Pastor Paul is a really nice guy, I want to go to tractor pull to see him. Not a single guy is going to tell you that. They're going to go, I want to play with my tractors. Oh, and Pastor Paul's there and we kind of get along with him. You know, and most guys do. We joke with each other and, you know, those kinds of things. There's one grumpy guy. I met him the other night. I, I, it just astounded me. After it was over, I said, hey, it's good seeing you again. I put out my hand to shake it, and he goes, mm, walked around. Never even shook my hand. I don't understand that. That just doesn't make any sense. But then on Friday night, my wife and I were in a unique position. I'm, I'm comfortable there. I'm comfortable here. Comfortable in my office, those kinds of things, in my neighborhood. But my wife and I were at a get-together with ten couples. Yeah, ten couples, plus a leader. And I'm telling you, I was a fish out of water. Now, I cannot tell you all the exact things that were going on in that group of people, but they were a diverse group of people. There were people that we found out that my kids actually know, and we found it out. They live in the area. There were two guys that lived together, and they are absolutely partners. There were two other ladies that by the end of the night, my wife and I, when we walked out of the place, said, did you catch what I caught? I'm pretty sure there were two lesbians there. There was a lady who was absolutely into New Age, had her meditation room and... Uh, the Reiki and the sound therapy and all kinds of other stuff. You know, and I ask her about that. You know what? I'm like, okay, I'm comfortable. I'm a fairly confident kind of guy most of the time. But I got to tell you, I was not in my element. That was not the group of people. We had very, very, very little in common. The point is, it's not my crowd. I don't think that's phase crowd. But... The point is this. God made us individuals. And you should not want to be me, and I shouldn't want to be you. Because the way you minister is going to be different than the way I minister. Truth doesn't change. Faith in God doesn't change. But how we put it into practice absolutely changes. By the way, probably none of you except Cobby would put their hand up. You want to be a garden tractor puller? You'd go, you got to be crazy, just like my wife would. She'd say... Garden tractor pullers are all nuts in the head. And she's really actually right. You know what? You're a Christian. You're a little crazy in the head too. In a good way, of course. But you're unique. I found out Friday night that the principles I live with, how I think, what I believe, is very different from what other people think. But I want to be based on truth. I want to be based on God's wisdom, God's strength, living by faith, I want to also be the best person I can be. 
The end result of all of this, when we make right decisions, doesn't matter what kind of decisions they are, are predictable consequences. Good results. A final result that makes a difference. That is good for everyone involved. Here's how that works. Those final results are what we want to look for. All of us want the things that we do to have a positive result. We don't do something and say, I hope this fails. If you do that, you need some serious, serious counseling. Because, okay, I will ask you, does anyone do something and say, you know, Lord, help me to fail? Anybody do that? Okay, anybody just say, well, I'm not going to ask the Lord, but I hope I fail. No, nobody does. That's not why you do something. You want something that's good in the end. You want to have a good reputation when it's done. You want to be encouraged. You want to have more confidence by the time it's done. Fact is, we all kind of like when somebody else acknowledges what we did and says, hey, you did a good job. It's not the final thing, but we all like those things, right? Nobody says, oh, hey, you did a lousy job. You know, what do, why are you doing that? You might think about that a couple of sermons or something. But, uh, you know, we, we all want it positive. Because we can biblically say there are predictable things that are going to happen if we do things God's way. That final result is going to be, and it's two, two there, the two in the middle, it should be honoring to God. Whatever you do, you can tell if it's going to be a biblically based decision because God is going to be honored. He is going to be glorified, exalted. It's going to make Him look good because we, if you're a believer, you reflect the God you serve. And so everything you do should make God look good and He should be pleased. Remember, He delighteth in His way from last week's sermon. That kind of catches us by surprise. You know, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he, God, delighteth in his way. God wants to be able to say, good job, you you made me look good. And by the way, you benefited yourself, and you benefited others. Now, if all you're looking at is, what does this do for me? That's selfishness and self-centeredness. That is not what I'm talking about. But things that we do, we don't purposely do things that harm us, tear us down. And we should not purposely do things that harm or tear other people down either. In my wedding ceremonies, I make a statement that everything's done for the good of both and the detriment of neither. I stick by that statement. If you're married, you need to understand that is whatever you do should be for the good of both of you, and it should not tear either one down. That's what we should do. That should be the church. It should be your neighbors. It should be whatever. You should be looking for, they call it in in management, win-win situation. Everybody wins. God is glorified and honored, and everyone else is benefited. That's what we should look for in a final result. And there are predictable consequences if we do things God's way. There's one thing that you need to know on top of that, and that's the last one. Sometimes, and we are Americans, 
We live in the 21st century. We expect instant whatever. It is amazing. Now, I can remember the days thinking, I will never own a computer. The computer age is going to pass me by. Then I got a computer, and I'm like, you, you'd have to pry this thing out of my cold, clammy hands. You're not getting it back, because I'm a lousy writer. I can't even read my own writing, and I can type things. And then the Internet, and I'm like, this is really cool. You know, dial in, and they go, and then it says, oh, sorry, it's all full. And you do the next number, sorry, it's full. So you fool around 15 minutes trying to get on, and then you get a phone call. And once you've gotten on, then by the time you're done with the phone call, it already timed out, and now you've got to start all over again. And if you're at the wrong hour, like 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, you couldn't get through at all. You couldn't even get through. And, but when you got through, you were so happy. Now, if I go home on my wife's laptop and it takes 15 seconds for something to load, I'm thinking, this stupid computer is so slow because I'm used to the one at work, which you guys bought me a really nice computer. It's pretty fast. You know what? That's great. But you know what? We think life should be that way. It's like everything. Everything's instant. Everything's immediate. Well, some things are. I agree. Some things are. But not all things are. And reality of life and decision-making is that the final consequence, the final results, the predictable consequences at the end don't always come immediately. How do I know that? Because I know what the Bible says. For example, and... Uh, if you would turn to Leviticus chapter 26, I'm going to end up in Leviticus chapter 26. Meanwhile, I'm going to go all over creation till I get there. But I want you to go there because that's where I'm going to end up. You can try to turn to these others, but by the time you get there, I'll probably be gone. Uh, but look at the Old Testament martyrs. In Hebrews chapter 11, there are some really neat things in there. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. You know, all of those things. Great things happened. Miracles happened. And then it goes on. By the time that you get to verse 35, it says, Women receive back their dead by resurrection. You go, wow, that's really cool. I remember that story. The widow lady, the prophet comes, the son's back to life. Isn't that wonderful? And then, now it's pretty instant, right? It's pretty quick. But right smack in the middle of the verse, and others were tortured, not accepting their release. They said, you know what? I'm going to do what is right. I'm going to make a biblical decision. I'm going to stick up for what's right, what I know to be true. I'm going to ask God to help me. And it's my desire to serve the Lord. And they were tortured. They didn't accept their release. They, they could have reneged. They could have went back on it. But no, they kept going because they were doing the right thing. They made a biblical choice. Guess what? Their end wasn't so good. And then it goes on to say, in order that they may obtain a better resurrection. You see, the outcome didn't come immediately. And it goes on, it says, others were, were mocked, and some had scourgings, and some were in chains and in prison, some were stoned, they were sawn in two. I, that one there, of all the things in the Bible, that one just, I don't know, I, I, that just sets me on edge. 
But anyway, others were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of whom the world is not worthy. These were people making biblical decisions, good decisions, God-honoring decisions. And you go, so this really doesn't prove your point today, Paul. Well, if you didn't read the end of it, you would be right. But I read the end. It goes on to say, they were wandering in the deserts, deserts and mountains, in the caves, holes in the ground. All of these having gained approval through their faith. Notice, these decisions honored God. They were approved by God. The steps of a good man are heard by the Lord. He delighteth in his way. That part they got. But they didn't receive what was promised. Not at that time they didn't. But it goes on and ends this with the last verse. Because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You go, what the world does that mean? Here's the simple explanation. We have the privilege of looking back at what we sang with the praise team. We can look back on a finished, complete work of Christ. We can see what they looked forward to do. It's now history for us. For them, it was future. We can look back. And without what Christ had done and what we have experienced, their, their hope, their benefit, their good consequence at the end doesn't come to anything. You see, they were looking ahead. And their good end result was not immediate. So just because you do something right, God doesn't always go, miracle, hey, you, you were obedient, miracle, good result. Sometimes it's a long time before you actually see it. We know that. We know that from the Old Testament. We know that from the New Testament. Stephen's a little bit different situation. You know Stephen. Uh, if Stephen was your friend... You would know exactly where you stand. Because he had no problem telling people you're stiff-necked, rebellious, always you know, resisting what God wants to do. And some people don't really like that. This is Acts chapter 7. But you know what? Remember, it's benefit to everyone and uh, honoring to God. So they're ready to stone him. You know? And Stephen was being stoned. And in the result... He goes, as, as this is going on, he says, Behold, I see the heavens open. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Can you imagine? They're already ticked off at him. And now he says, Oh, I'm looking up there and I see God is looking down on me. <laughs> Can you imagine how irritated, agitated, and angry they became at that point? <sighs> Stephen was stoned and he didn't use drugs. They were real rocks. And they were real deadly. And it says they went on stoning Stephen as he called out to the Lord, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, that's honoring to God. Here's a guy who's dying for his faith, dying for what is true, dying because he made a right decision that honors God and was really meant to be beneficial to them. It ended up being beneficial to him because he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, most of us don't get that privilege. And then he ends with this, falling on his knees. I'm not sure how he fell on his knees, but he was probably 
close to being knocked out by that time. He cried out with a loud voice. I'm going to guess this last breath kind of thing. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And said this, he fell asleep. Can you imagine that benefit to us and benefit to others? Can you imagine those people who seconds, maybe minutes before that, including a young man named Saul, heard that? Can you imagine the impact that had? A right decision, a God-honoring decision. One based on truth. He, all he did was quote scripture, scripture. He quoted history to them. He gets stoned. He gets benefited because he goes right from living to, you know, receive my spirit. And everybody around him is impacted by something that other than the Lord Jesus who said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen kind of echoes that. Can you imagine the impact? By the way, do I want to be Stephen? Nah, I don't want to be sawed in half. I don't want any of those things. Not all of us are going to be called to do that. Most of us won't. But the point is, when you make right decisions, God is honored. We're benefited in one way or the other, now or later. And others are impacted by it too, in a positive way. I don't know what the outcome of all of that is. But I also know another Old Testament character, which I've been spending way too much time on Sunday nights in the book of Job. It's just so much there. But God's view of Job, and he said it directly to Satan. He said, hey, have you considered my servant Job? He is blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning from evil. That is not Job's opinion of himself. That would sound a little fat-headed. That's God's opinion right to Satan's ear. Job is this kind of guy. I'll tell you what, if anybody could say that about me, boy, that would be a, that would be a big, big plus, right? I hope all, God could say that about all of us. Uh, and some days maybe he can, but I'll tell you what, there's a few other days I'm not too sure about. How's that? I don't think you are either. So he loses everything. God allows Satan to just wipe him out. His friends come along. And, well, first his wife comes along and says, curse God and die. Boy, boy, she's a really good example here. And then his friends come along and pile on him. Job, you had to have sinned. You just, we just don't know it. We don't see it. But you had to have sinned. You're getting what you deserve. That's, in essence, what they, they were saying. It's a prosperity gospel. You know, you do right. You get all these things immediately. Well, God never promised immediately. fact is... I don't know how long it took place here. I don't think it was a whole long time. But God came back and said, Okay, guys, you pray for him. Because I'm going to show you the end result. And so, of all the things that Job had, God gave him double the camels, double the sheep, double the oxen, double the donkeys. Because that's what he said he would do. But there's, one, there's a problem there. <laughs> We've got a kid loose in the wild. Uh, we have the doors open so we get a little cool from the back. So we don't normally have that. Uh, but anyway, he doesn't double his sons and daughters. In fact, is uh, it's pretty clear that um, he had seven sons and three daughters. Seven sons and three daughters had died. Here's the really cool thing if you think about it. He didn't have to double them because... The other ten were still alive. 
Think about that. Job's impact on his children. I think that's one of the coolest things in the book of Job. He didn't have to give him ten new kids because ten of them were already alive. They were in Sheol. They were in Abraham's bosom. He just has to give them one more, one more round of them. Can you imagine that? Now, I don't want to go through what Job went through. But Job never backed off. He's like, no, I didn't do this. He made a choice. Under the law, and you've heard me talk about this in the past, under the law, and it's one of the, the passages that I use at, for principles. And that's Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting in verse 15. It says, I've set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. And then it goes on to say, and I've set before you a blessing and a curse. God said, if you're obedient, I will bless you. If you're disobedient, I will curse you. Now, that does not mean God is yelling bad words at somebody. The words blessing and curse have to do with speaking well of, that's blessing, and speaking against. It's a little bit like you should do as a parent. Probably most parents know what I'm going to say next. If you're not a parent yet, catch this. If your child does what is right, what do you do? You encourage them. You speak well. You want them to keep going that direction, right? That's what you do. And if you're a good parent and they're doing something wrong, you speak against them. By the way, you may do more than speak in either direction. But at least you start in that direction. Well, God is the, the ultimate parent. And when we're doing what is right and, and godly, we're doing things his way, he speaks on our behalf. He's like, you do what's right. I told my kids, if... if uh, Something happens and, and it goes. If I find out that you're right, I will stick up for you till the, bot, the, the, the final end. If I find out that what you did was wrong, and especially if you lied to me, I'm going to be the one you've got to fear, <laughs> not whatever else consequence it is. You know what? I, I take that from God's, God's word. But he said, it is not only a blessing and a curse, but it's life or death. Life is what God gives you, that vitality that you get from God. Death is separation. You know what? That's exactly what happens. Sin separates. You know, doing things your own way. Even, we, we saw when we talked about faith, even doing things that um, are not of faith. It's a problem. It's not just, oh, you didn't, you kind of blew it. No, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Yeah. It's a big deal. Doing things God's way is really important. It also says prosperity and adversity. Let's face it. What you sow is what you get. And when we get to the New Testament, which is where we're going now, and if you want to turn to this one, I would actually encourage you to keep your finger in the other one and go to this one for a moment. But Galatians chapter 6. You all know it. It's the, the most prominent what you sow is what you reap passage in the Bible. There, it's all through the Bible. But this one here kind of puts it in a nutshell. We're going to go back to uh, Proverbs chapter 3 then. But uh, it says, each one must examine his own work. That includes the decisions you make. Then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. 
There is nothing that gets people irritated and causes lawsuits quicker than somebody stole somebody else's music or their idea for a book or whatever it is. The Chinese do it with all our technology. Uh, they clone it and then sell it back to us. And Well, I, I work on small engines, and I can tell you their technology doesn't come up to ours. But you can see they obviously took the blueprints of ours and redid them, you know, not the same quality normally. But you know what? Nobody likes that. We don't like somebody else taking our idea and then saying it was theirs. We just don't like that. He says, but there's nothing wrong with, it's like, this is my idea. Remember, there's nothing wrong with your own desires and your own thoughts as long as they're based on the truth, based on what God wants you to do, living by faith. Nothing wrong with that. You are an individual. You have the right to that. He says, there's nothing wrong with saying, I did this. Now, if you go, I did this, and no, 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 you're scum. Uh, that's definitely not it at all. You're not putting somebody else down. You are simply saying, this is what I did. This is, this is my workmanship. This is my decision. This is what I do. Nothing wrong with that at all. But we sure don't like somebody that's a braggart. He's just saying, no, you, you, you've made a decision and you can stand by it. And you don't have to uh, go to somebody else. And he goes on in verse 5, for each one will bear his own load. There's a responsibility that goes with this whole thing. And then he goes on to say the one that is taught... Um, the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Don't be deceived. God isn't mocked. God doesn't get fooled by what we do. He knows our motives and he judges them. It's not just what you see on the outside. What you see on the outside. Remember we used the illustration of the wise man and the foolish man. On the outside, both of those houses look good. Except the foundation was not right. And so the one crashed and the other stood. It wasn't because of the house. It was because of the foundation. God knows what the foundation is. He knows why you do what you do. Above and beyond of just what end result there is or what you actually choose to do. For whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. Those are things that are obviously spiritual decisions. But that's true of all areas of life. And I, I know that it works that way. And then he says, and remember I said it doesn't come instant or immediate sometimes. He says, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, if we do not grow weary, then we'll reap. Notice, you have to plant before you harvest. And there's work in between. You all know that if you've had a garden. I grew up on a farm. You know that you don't plant today and harvest tomorrow. In between, you pick weeds. You, you do whatever you need to do. Cultivate, you know, water, whatever, fertilize. Do all of those things. He says, don't lose heart. Because you say, well, I like what you're telling us this morning. But man, I have been doing my best to the best of my ability and the best of my spiritual maturity to make biblical decisions and use the right process. But I don't see those results you're talking about. 
Don't lose heart. Because he never promised it was instant. There are miracles. And sometimes, and I will tell you, sometimes when you make a right decision, God does a miracle and it's like instant. There are things where you plan and you work and you think it through and you, you, you provide, you, you do whatever you can do. And you say, oh, I guess, guess this isn't going to happen. And then God eventually, it comes to a, an, a, a, a good end of what you wanted anyway, a good consequence. Sometimes it happens immediately. But that's not the issue. You don't lose heart in the process. And then he goes on to say, So then, while you have act opportunity, let us do good to all people. We start by, what do I want? No, I do good for others. I put God first. I honor Him. I put others first. It is amazing what you get when you put others first. When you put God first and others first. And all of a sudden, it's the things you really wanted is what you get. I think it's just that blessing and curse. It's that adversity and prosperity. It's that principle, sowing and reaping. But I'm going to end, I believe, with, um, well, I told you I'd end with Leviticus, so I'll try that. I've got uh, a few minutes yet. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. If you want to see a illustration of the law of sowing and reaping, Proverbs 3 is a good one. Now, most of us know, and you may have memorized Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Nothing wrong with that. It's kind of the core of the whole thing. But there are actually four of these sowing and reaping scenarios in that chapter. But we gravitate to the one about um, in 5 and 6. But let's look at all of them, the first 10 verses there. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Notice, being obedient to what God wants, he says a couple of things will happen. Quantity and quality of life. Quantity and quality of life. A long life, lots of people have almost made it a religion to eat healthy and do all these things and all that. By the way, I'm not against any of those things. But they made it a religion. That's what they do. They literally focus their life on what they eat and and exercise and all those things. You should do all those things. But they make it a religion. He says, no, no, no. Keep my commandments. Don't forget my teachings. And then... I will give you a quality of life. By the way, if you're doing those things, you're going to have your life under control, and you're probably going to do some of those things. He says, I'll add days and years of life and peace. A long life without peace is not really much of a life. Worry and depression and all the garbage that goes with doing things your own way, not much of a life. Not the kind of life I want. Then he goes on in verses 3 and 4 to say this. Don't let, let kindness and truth leave you. Notice we're back to that truth thing again. And notice the kindness. Kindness is what you are loyal and faithful and loving to your friends and those around you, those that, that are your acquaintances, those you cross paths with. You know what? Be kind to them. Reach out to them. Do good, useful, and profitable things for them. 
And don't leave truth out. Always do it according to truth. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Now, the reason you wear a piece of jewelry around your neck is you think it looks attractive, right? Nothing wrong with that, right? You can. Guys wear them. uh, Women wear them. You know, no big deal. You do it because it's attractive. He's saying, that's how you wear it. That's how you use this kindness and truth. It's okay to wear it around your neck. It's attractive. But it's not only on the outside, it's also on the inside. So it comes with motives and everything else that goes with that. And he says, here's what's going to happen. And this is a biggie. We all want that. I want this. I want people to be able to say, hey, that Paul Mulfair has a good reputation. As a pastor, tractor puller, friend, neighbor, husband, you name it, whatever. I hope I have a good reputation. How do I get that? He says, you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. He doesn't separate the two. He puts them together. He's saying, you, one of your goals is to have a good reputation. How do you get that? You treat people right, kindly. And you make sure that you operate in God's truth. When you do those two, you find favor. Remember, Jesus grew in uh, wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Same principle here. That's what we want. And we want a good reputation. If you don't have a good reputation, I guarantee you, you don't have very good results. Because it's a problem. Nobody will trust you. Nobody wants to be around you. Nobody wants to work with you. But a good reputation is you're honoring God and others are benefited because they, they, they're benefited because you've got a good reputation. You've either helped them or you've been there to, to come alongside of them or you've been an example to them or something in every way. That's the law of sowing and reaping. But it doesn't end there. You know the next one, uh, five and six. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And I'm not going to tell you you'll never stumble. But the way this is written, it basically is this. That if you're trusting the Lord, we've already looked at that one. We're not doing it on our own. We're not self-wise. He's the wise one. We acknowledge him in everything. We experience The word is actually the word to experience. We're walking with him. He says the end result is he will make your path straight. Notice who makes the path straight. Not you. You're not wise enough. You're not strong enough. He makes the path straight, and he goes, and and the way I understood this from one commentary years ago is he walks in front of you and clears the path. And he walks alongside of you, even if you stumble, he's there, you can grab a hold of him. I know we're we're ahead of that because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. But the point is, when you put him first, you have a path that you can tread. You can go forward. And then the last one is, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't be a wise guy. Don't be a smart alley. Don't be a know-it-all. Because you're not. But hold on a second. Paul, I I know some things more than everybody else in this congregation. I hope I know more Bible than the rest of you. I wish you all knew everything. 
But I study a lot more. So hopefully I know more about that. But you know what? I know a lot of you. I don't know how to fly an airplane, Jim, but I know you do. And I don't know how to be an accountant, but I know Scott does. And I don't know how to put up, you name it, you just go right down the line. I don't play drums either, by the way. You don't want me up there playing drums. And I don't sing. You know what? All of you have something God has given you. Use it. You're not being a smart aleck. You're not being a know-it-all. You're not, I'm better than you. No. God expects you to use what you, He has given you, what He's put into you. And then He says, don't be wise in your own eyes. But it doesn't mean don't use, and don't use to the fullest what God has given you. Some of you are really great at prayer. Please pray for the pastor. Pray for the church. Pray for the ministries. Some of you have means. You have opportunities. You have connections. You have whatever it is. Use them wisely. But that doesn't make you a know-it-all or any of those things, because that would be a bad reputation. But if you use it rightly. I have guys all the time. People ask me Bible questions and questions of how to make a garden tractor work. (laughs) I don't know. Is that a good reputation or not? I'm not sure. But you know what? I take advantage of those and seriously do. If somebody asks me, hey, can you help me with my engine? I go, yeah, I will. And you know what exactly I'm doing immediately? I am praying, Lord, what is the opportunity in this? How am I going to use this to glorify you, whether it's teaching them or evangelizing or whatever else? And it's given me numerous opportunities. I just say to you, that's exactly what you want to do. I don't care what you do. You use what God has given you for the glory of God. If you're fearing God, you're standing in awe of Him. It's like, God, you you gave me this. You hold me accountable for this. You want me to do that. And then He says, turn away from evil. You can't say, well, I did all these good things, but and that gives me the right to kind of stray over here. No, no, it doesn't work that way. And if you don't, I'm, I'm going to vouch and say that happens to me occasionally. Is, well, I'm serving the Lord and I'm spending all this time, so you know what, I can get away with this. The moment you have that attitude, you're in trouble. And you are. So don't do that. And it says it will be healing for your body and refreshment to your bones. Now, I don't think that's going to make you that you never have to go to the doctor and never take a pill or never have surgery because you've wrecked your leg or whatever it is. You know what? I don't think that's what it means at all. But here's the thing. It's, you're going to be living at peace in your own body. You're not going to be fighting with who you are. It's going to be in harmony in that direction. God wants us to base our lives on the facts. If you're going to make a biblical decision, it's on the facts. It's on the truth. It starts with the Word of God, but you don't make decisions. You go, I know, what, I know how this works. I know everybody knows how it works, but I think I can do differently. doesn't work. Tractor puller guys try to do that all the time, and I'm going, it doesn't work that way. You're wasting your time. It's not going to work. You're going to be mad at yourself. I do it all the time. People do it with the Bible all the time also. It's like, well, I think I can do it this way. I think God will be okay with this. I prayed about it, by the way. Mm, No, it's not based on truth. I know it's going to crash and burn. Faith in God. If you think you can do it on your own, 
you're already, already headed for a disaster because you're, you're not going to make it. It may look good for a while, but you're not going to make it because he is strong and he is wise. You are not and I am not. Can I be myself? The answer is your best self that God created you with his help, with his truth. Yes, there is a broad spectrum of what you can do and what you can't do. Mike, Mike's here. Nobody's going to take Mike's place. He knows that. He is just Mike Snavely, and he all over the place. I'm, I'm astounded at where he goes. You know what? Most people aren't going to do that. But Mike and I have had discussions. Sorry, Mike, to pick on you. But uh, Mike said, I could never do what you do. And I'm like, I couldn't do what you do. We work together, by the way. I'm on his board. But you know what? I don't like that travel. I don't know how Kerry puts up with him. But, but you know what? I can't, I can't do that. That is not me. But that's what God called him to do. God called me to do something different. You know what? doesn't have to be ministry. It can be anything. Whatever God called you to do, do it to the fullest. Because that's who he's made you. Use it. I'm going to use the word exploit. Exploit it to the future in the good way. Exploit can also be used negatively. We looked it up just to make sure that it can be used both ways. And then you say, can I know what's going to happen? Yeah, you can. Because God says what you sow, what you plant, is going to come back. What goes around comes around. It's the way it is. Does it happen immediately? Not necessarily. But it does happen, whether it's on this earth or in the future. Let's all stand together as we close. Father, thank you so much that you're a God that has created us unique individuals. Created in your image and your likeness to serve you, to honor you. And to be obedient. And to live in a way that you provided for through Jesus Christ. Through the word of God. I pray that at all times. That we would not be self-serving. But that we would serve the Lord and serve others. That we would honor God. And we would benefit others. Because we know the end result of that is predictable. The consequences are real. And we can be a part of that. Lord, we want to be on the prosperity side. We want to be on the blessing side. We want to be on the life side. And I pray as we leave here today that that would be the prayer of our hearts. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God and serve him to the fullest.